Hello, listener. I want to share with you an opportunity to attend a free masterclass with a previous guest, Vanessa Zami. Vanessa is a business maven, and she wants to share with us her tips and tricks of how she was able to grow a purpose-driven business without burnout, sleep deprivation, or meditation. This masterclass is happening next week, February 17th at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time. So if you are interested, go ahead and click on the link in my Instagram bio at MosesGTY in order for you to sign up for the free masterclass training. I'm going to be there. The real question is, are you? Hello, listeners. On this show, I talk with everyday African-Americans who were able to transform their passions and struggles into their dreams. I'm your host, Moses Tillman Young, and welcome to the Black Gold Podcast. In this episode, I interview Yolanda Jones, She is a Texas public school teacher who is the founder of the print-on-demand company YOLO Expressions, a curator of Southern Style magazine, an owner of True Dimensions Modeling, and the Foundation Healing Souls, an organization that promotes non-violent, non-abusive family systems through intervention, prevention, and education. In our conversation, Yolanda and I discuss her journey becoming a teacher, her students' successes, and overcoming trauma by starting a foundation for her friend. Now recording. So uh, hello, this is um, Yolanda Jones, and welcome to the Black Gold uh, Podcast, Yolanda. How are you doing today? I'm awesome, and thank you for inviting me on to the podcast. Yes, most definitely. So um, I originally met Yolanda on a uh, local Facebook group. It was a networking group for uh, Black-owned businesses within the San Antonio area. And in doing so, she I saw in her profile that she was she is a, a, a teacher at Judson ISD, she is the, the founder of a printing company, YOLO Expressions. She does t-shirts and tumblers and a lot of different paraphernalia. Uh, also, she is the, uh, the curator and editor of Southern Style, a, a, a local magazine in San Antonio. And also, her and her husband run a studio called R40 that is a photography and videography studio. So, Yolanda... Where do you find the time to run all these different businesses as well as being a public servant as a school teacher? Um, I don't know. People often ask me that. I think a big part of it is I have my husband because he's actually the editor of the magazine okay. and, uh, and the founder of it. And I just help put everything together and serve as one of the editors. But he's the editor and chief and the director of the photography company. Um, but a lot of the things are things I've done since a child. So it's kind of pretty much easy. As they always say, when you do what you love doing, you seem to always make time because you're happy yeah. and very much comfortable. And I think that's where the time comes. Uh, a lot of my crafting that I do, in, I actually incorporate it into the classroom. So I also teach my students how to do some of the things. At the end of the day, we know everyone is not going to go to college, so it's always good to have something else, as well as just working on having residual income. So a lot of the lessons I actually teach my Miller schoolers have to do with crafting and entrepreneurship. I started a club at our school as well called the Entrepreneurship Club. And I bring in outside guests to work with the students and just tell them, you know, how to get a business plan, how to get started if you want to have your own business. Um, I recently had someone even donate sewing machines to a couple of my students to make sure that um, 
and do little Zoom classes with them so they can learn about the fashion and designing industry as well. So I think at the end of the day, you know, when it's all said and done, I'll sleep when my life is over. Because <laughs> I'm definitely on a mission to better our society and our community. Wow. So in, in teaching the students and starting your uh, entrepreneurship club, did you have any setbacks doing that in the, within the system in terms of getting the ball rolling, of getting approval to start it? Actually, I did. My administration was awesome. The school district was awesome in allowing me to do it. I gathered um, some students that were already in my classes and talked to them, kind of put the plan of action together. They would say after school, we came up with our own bylaws for the club, presented them to the school district, and they were approved. We actually had a few activities. Of course, at the end, some things got canceled due to our pandemic of COVID-19. But um, I actually saw, you know, we're back in school face-to-face. -face, so I've talked to my students and, you know, we're ready to get started again. We did do some of our meetings over Zoom. And we're going to continue to do that and just ease our way slowly back into our face-to-face -face, uh, contact. But we do a lot of stuff like um, helping them write their own business plans, coming up with their own logos, and designing their own logos. I have a few kids that are interested in coding. So just those different avenues. And also teaching them how to research and how to guide themselves and find out. And at the same time, make a little extra money for them as well. And they don't have to necessarily depend on their parents for things they want. Okay. So do you uh, run the entrepreneurship club by yourself or is there an appointed class president that you have? I um, The students are officers, but as far as being the adult, I am the only adult that does take care of running it at our school. Um, I do employ the students because it is about entrepreneurship. So um, we do have officers, we have presidents and secretary and treasurer. And um, I kind of just lead and guide them and let them figure out a few things. When they stumble, I'll help them, especially when it comes to products and learning how to price your stuff and teaching them about, you know, your return and your who's your target audience and things of that nature. So I'm way more hands-on in that aspect, but pretty much the other stuff they kind of decide they decide what kind of business they want. They decide how they're going to display it and things of that nature. Not just them with some good questions. Yeah, okay. So do they actually launch a certain product or a service into the, like, out of school, into the actual world? Do they have their own businesses? Yes, they do. They do launch their own uh, businesses out into the world. I have one student who's currently still um, doing her background work. She wants to design hijabs, you know, that's um, the covering that a lot of the Muslim women wear. And she's actually a Muslim herself. And so she wants to design more hijabs. So she's still in the process of designing and actually sewing her stuff. She's one of the young ladies that was donated a sewing machine. So she hasn't necessarily started selling her product yet, but as far as having her logistics down, she's doing that and she's actually working on building up to sewing and having her products ready for the demand. I have a couple of students that have their own t-shirt businesses, just like I do. So they do vinyl, we do a lot of trading secrets and you know, they might have an order for design and they can't figure out how to do it and I'll show them how to do it. So I have actually about three students that have t-shirt businesses and they're kind of doing the mask thing. Masks are hot and popular right now. And two students that make bracelets. So yes, and then a couple are still working in the background on designing their things and the ones that's into like designing games, they're still working on their background logistics work. Okay. So in terms of setting up the, the club, um, you yourself doing a bunch of different, uh, different gigs, different making many businesses, um, what kinds of tools have you used in order to build both your own businesses 
and also to share your your knowledge of building businesses with with your children you know for me honestly starting out it was a lot of trial and error Thankfully, I started at a young age. I've been crafting since I was seven years old. And so I had a mom that really installed in me. So I was actually already selling my products. I just didn't have like my name, my DBA and all of that type of stuff. But I've actually been making my own products and selling them since the age of seven. Um, by the time I got to high school, that's when I started learning, okay, you need a DBA. And then by the time I got to college, I realized, oh, I need a business plan. So it's been a lot of trial and error. You're doing this and then maybe I'm networking and meet other people and have conversations and realize, oh, I need to have this too. Okay, let me go get that and let me add that, which is one of the reasons I actually started the entrepreneurship with the kids because a lot of them have the talent. They just don't know what to do with it or which direction to steer it in. And that was one of my things about teaching them, hey, have a business plan. Let's have a plan of action. Let's have a plan B. What if this doesn't work? Who are you trying to sell your product to? So how are you going to get them to buy? What is your advertisement? And teaching them ways to do all of these things cost effectively. I work at a Title I school, which means most of my kids come from low-income families and don't necessarily have money to start a small business. So I teach them how to start small and build their way up. Okay, this is how you do your profit loss margin. Okay, now reinvest in your business. And now this will get you to the next step. Make you a list. What do you need next? And all the things I teach them, honestly, are the same tools that I've used to be able to be successful in learning. Okay, maybe I can't make coffee mugs, t-shirts, and everything at one time because I don't necessarily have the money for that. So let me do the t-shirts and let me get that going. Okay, now let me add this product. And kind of just taking it slow. And definitely you have to keep your self-esteem up and your self-worth and understand that, hey, I can do this even on those low days. Especially when business is slow, you know, you kind of rethink it like, should I keep doing this? You know, am I wasting my time or am I wasting my money? So those are like different motivational habits that you have to just keep the confidence and keep reaffirming everything for yourself. Yeah. So have any of the kids that have gone through the, your, um, your, your entre entrepreneurship club, have any of them started businesses that ended up not doing as well as they thought that it would? Um, no, I think when you start your own business and especially being a, a kid entrepreneur, then you take your time. So some of them are like, booming because that's what they're doing and some of them are taking their time but they're all at their place of success um i tell kids don't judge yourself by someone else's success judge yourself by your success what was your small term goal what is your long-term goal how close are you to that goal where you are what can you add to do that so i don't think any of them are unsuccessful maybe some of them don't have as many customers as the other one but that's a growing process. They're all different ages as well. Like I have kids that are in high school that I've known for a long time versus kids that are in junior high school. So it kind of depends on where you trying to go and where you are with the situation. So I would, none of them have stopped. You know what I'm saying? Nobody's just absolutely quit and said, I don't want to do this everybody's in the process of their time management because oh that's a huge deal to being an entrepreneurship and especially being in school because you got to do your work and you might want to do extracurriculum activities so you definitely have to have time management and time balance so i think as far as where they are that has a lot to do with it but all of them are still continuing no one has like completely stopped in not doing anything at all yeah that that sounds that's amazing because you, you're right once you you they're the children uh they're young they have the time to to grow into something big if they choose to and if not that, that that's their choice uh but it, it's really wonderful so um you went to college what was your major when you went to college my major was communications i went to dallas baptist university 
Got a shout out to my school. Yeah. Wow. So learning communication, do you think that that informed you in terms of both being a teacher and also a businesswoman? To be honest with you, I don't. And not that um, communication, I love communications, first of all. But I think the businesswoman and being a school teacher, honestly, I think that was something that was in me as a child. And that was something that just had to be nurtured. And the reason I say that, because I didn't go to college to be a school teacher. I, did, I didn't even plan on ever in life being a school teacher. But as I look back on my life and think about things, I see how it all played a role. And I see how all the stones connected to get me to be a school teacher, even though that's not as a child what I grew up thinking. I wasn't one of those kids that say, oh, I want to be a school teacher. That was never my goal. That was never my idea. Um, and even when I first went to college, I changed my major. Um, communications was not my first major. Actually, it was English. And I got bored and I met a professor that um, I had a really good relationship with. I was student body president and I had just given a speech and he stopped me and was like, oh my God, that's an awesome speech. And I looked at him, I was like, you do know I just made that up, right? So of course, I'm not thinking it was that awesome because I'm like, I didn't you know, sit down and plan it and do my research and have my little cue cards. So I'm kind of looking at him like, what do you mean? So we started a conversation. I asked him, I said, you know, it's kind of funny that you asked me that question. I said, I need to tell you something. And he was like, what? I said, I'm thinking about dropping out of college. And he looked at me, he was like, what? Why? You're kind of almost finished. I said, I'm bored. And he was like, what is your major? I said, English. I said, I don't want to read another book. I don't want to learn about another phonetic letter yeah. saying anything. I said, I'm totally bored and it's not interesting at all. And he said to me, he said, you know, it's funny that you say that. I had a conversation about you the other day and he said, have you ever thought about communications? And I was like, no. And then he tells me, he said, well, you've done a lot of speaking engagements. And I was like, yes, I have. And he says, all of them are phenomenal. And he's like, a lot of the staff talk about your speaking. And I'm thinking, really, why? You know, because of course, we never think our, what we do is always good. So from having that conversation with him, he actually had just came back from a communications conference. He gathered a lot of the materials that they gave him. He brought them to me and he was like, here, research it. He gave me a list of the top um, five universities in Texas that um, did communications. And he was like, you'd be an awesome political speech writer if you want to go that route. So after talking to him and kind of gauging and looking at the information he gave me, I immediately changed my major. And I must say, it's it was on. Like, Every class after that, I was excited. I was ready for class. I was so engaged. So I definitely know my internship was actually at a radio station, a news talk radio station and everything. So I definitely know when I changed my major, that was the right decision for me. I don't necessarily say that it guided me towards teaching because again, that was not what I planned on doing. But I will say learning the things about relationships, interpersonal communication, learning people's, um, their attitude and how to work with people. Like we used to do this thing called true colors. So you're figuring out, okay, how can I work with this person that's more analytical versus this person that's more spontaneous? So I would say that kind of stuff has just helped me throughout my life in general. And then everything when you, you know, have those moments where you're frustrated and I'm thinking like, wait, they're very analytical. I'm not. Let me readjust how I'm talking to them. So I'll say it's helped me on that aspect. Wow. So being a communications major, um, do you think that as you are a teacher now that uh, learning how to communicate with people in different um, walks of life, different types of ways that that has informed your, your teaching style? 
it definitely has informed my teaching style. It definitely improves it. One of the biggest things is it makes me think about a monotone speaker. So when I am teaching, I tend to be extremely animated and make sure I change my voice just to make sure my audience is still there. Or, you know, sometimes out the blue, I just do something totally stupid. And my students are kind of looking at me like, where did that come from? I'm like, I'm just checking to make sure y'all are still here. Just make sure you're following me. And they're looking like, yes. So I definitely think those are like little tidbits that help make me that interesting um, teacher. As well as when I do um, a lot of public speaking, like for domestic violence and things of that nature. So it definitely helps when I'm doing my public speaking because I know how to look out and engage my audience and make sure that, hey, I still have their attention or, hey, I need to add a little something right now to get them moving and shaking. But definitely learning about learning styles because, you know, some of us are visual learners, some of us are audio or kinesthetic. So I'll say all of that has definitely played a major part in it. Okay, so you um, also part of your uh, repertoire of businesses that you run. Uh, one of them uh, is a nonprofit. Yes, it's called it, Healing Souls. Uh, Healing Souls. Uh, will you please tell us more about that? Oh, Healing Souls is my baby. Oh my goodness. Healing Souls started um, 2011 is when I started Wait a minute, I'm sorry. I started Healing Souls at the end of 2010. I got all of my paperwork in 2011. Um, I started Healing Souls because my best friend was murdered by her husband and Healing Souls was my legacy to her. I went through the process of, she married this guy like the end of April and by October the 15th, he had already murdered her. Wow. I was one of the key people in helping the um, police in finding his moves. And one of those reasons is because um, he forgot. I don't know if he forgot or he was just anxious or whatever, but he was having a conversation with me about me. So it was like, you're talking about me to me. So he didn't realize who I was. And I was able to like keep all of those key uh, informations as well as the conversation that I had had with my best friend to give to the police and give them information to be able to get a search warrant to search the um, apartment that they lived in. I actually had to testify in the, um, in the trial, in his sentencing trial to um, see how much time he ended up getting. So Healing Souls is definitely because of the first time he attacked her, she called me and I went to the house and helped her move out. And it's kind of funny that we're having this conversation because over the weekend I was going through some old papers and I found the paperwork where she first filled out her protective order against him. Mm -hmm. And so I started Healing Souls was to walk through the steps with women that didn't have family or wasn't necessarily close to their family and they're going through that and they just need somebody to hold their hand and just go to court with them while they're getting their restraining orders and just to understand like listening and understanding and just bringing more awareness because it's really a taboo in the black community and it's really something that we don't talk about we just kind of throw it up under the rug and I also she didn't have any children or anything so that was like, um, I was when she passed, I found out I was actually her beneficiary. So I took that and I started the company to um, be a legacy for her and hold it true and dear to my heart. Um, and it's been going ever since. So we're in 2020 right now. And she was, so she's been deceased 10 years. She was killed October the 15th in 2010. And shortly after that is when I started getting the paperwork and everything together. Once we got her body back, because he actually drove her out of state lines and set her body on fire and all of that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. So once we got through that whole process, I started the paperwork. And by the time it was actually finalized and I got my 501c3, it was in 2011. So... That's what I do in a nutshell. We um, do a lot of community events as well. And I still work with kids with a youth mentorship 
through my nonprofit as well. So those, you know, I'm always big in the community about volunteering and giving back and doing a lot of community service. That has always been a part of my life's work and my legacy that I plan to leave behind when I'm going to the other side of Jordan. Yeah. Wow. So is is healing souls is is it local to the san antonio area is it in other states is it or is it just a part of just a texan uh, organization that you started i actually started it in the dallas fort worth area and um we are local in san antonio i've done a lot of work here in san antonio i still do things in the dallas fort worth area we haven't made it nationwide yet, but that is a part of our goal and a part of our uh, processes. But um, with everything, you know, you have to take baby steps and you have to make sure, okay, what's next for us? And I definitely follow the guidelines of where are we now? And what are we ready for? Are we ready for the next level? And honestly, what we have going on right now keeps us pretty busy. We're kind of like standoffish right now during the COVID-19, but in the San Antonio community, we've held domestic violence walks. We've done fashion shows and we've done back to school toy drives in partnership with the Claude Black Community Center, as well as Christmas giveaways in partnership with the Claude Black Community Center in District 2 as well. So we've done a lot of things in the San Antonio community and those same things we've done in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And we do the summer food program. We've done it here in San Antonio and in the Dallas-Fort Worth area as well. So those are the main places where we're extremely active. I'm actually a native of the Dallas area. I moved to Dallas when I was six years old and I lived there until 20. 13 when I actually married my husband and moved to San Antonio. So um, I do a lot in Dallas as well as the San Antonio area with Healing Souls. Okay. So you talked about um, the COVID-19 pandemic. How has that um, changed the way that you operate, both as a teacher and also um, as a woman with many hats on many different companies? Every company was impacted in some shape, form, or fashion, and it's changed a lot. I'm going to start with teaching and work my way down to each one. Um, of course, you know, with teaching, we went to being um, at home and teaching from home. So in March, everybody, everything shut down. We were teaching from home, um, from our houses. In August, we went back. We actually went into the building. And we started, we were doing a virtual teaching, but we started doing it in the building as opposed to being at home. Um, all of our software that we were used to using, everything had been changed. So we had to be, as teachers, we had to be retrained on every single thing. A lot of us are still tr struggling on getting some of the advanced things together. Um, we got the basics done. And actually on Monday, we started face-to-face. So some of the kids came back and some of them stayed home. So especially in the San Antonio area, many of the teachers were doing double duty. So I have a Zoom class at the exact same time that I have face-to-face -face students. So um, I'm balancing teaching with the mask on for one, trying to still social distance with a room full of kids as well as a room full of kids that are on Zoom because it kind of equals out as to how many kids you have on Zoom and how many are actually there with you face-to-face. -face. It's extremely challenging. It's extremely hard, especially um, staying away from the kids because as a teacher, we're used to being hand-on and when they have a problem, we're used to being right there. And it's like you're trying to show them, but you still have to be like, let me keep my distance and making sure that they understand, hey, we have to keep our mask on. Hey, you can't just go run and hang out with your friends. And today was a hard day. Actually, today was a really hard day because I had this one student last year. Our greeting was a hug. And of course, she's like in the eighth grade now. And she today was our first day seeing each other. I hadn't seen her all week. And my initial response was to reach out for my hug. And it's like, oh, I can't. And we both kind of had that like, what do we do now? Look, and at that moment, 
I just had a moment. I was like, oh my God, I can't hug my baby. Like, so I think, you know, just letting that sink in, it was like, man, like, I was so ready for that hug. And that hug used to lift me up like so many days. I think we both needed it. It actually started with her coming to me. She was having some issues she was dealing with. And she'd be like, Miss, can I just have a hug? And I was like, yes. And from that moment, that became our thing. That's what we did. That greeting, that hug. And it was like, okay, we're good. So today was the first day that I was like, I can't get my hugs anymore. You know, usually when you meet new students and build that relationship, that's what you do. And with COVID, we can't do that anymore. With my nonprofit, it's made it harder because we don't have an actual building. And a lot of the stuff we did was like with the San Antonio um, Battered Women's and Children's Shelter or with the Claw Black Center. And everybody's had restrictions, but the need is still there. Then the cases go up because now these people that are in these domestic violence situations, they're trapped in the house with their abuser. And they have really have nowhere to go. And it's even harder for them to even make up any excuse or to even get them out because we're on shutdown, you know. So um, we kind of slowed up a lot on that because um, what we would normally do and normally be able to go help or go here with that person or even go to court with them, those were things we couldn't do because everything was limited. I had a client in the hospital, I can't go visit her because they can't have visitors. So in that aspect, in a lot of our activities and fundraisers were definitely canceled just for the rest of 2020. Um, so that was a huge impact. We, um, we lost a lot financially, a lot of donations and stuff just because a lot of the stuff we normally do, we couldn't do. Um, but in the midst of all that, my crafting business, the Yellow of the Expressions, she had it going on. I will say that she was totally busy. More orders came in, more things started happening. I was able to even practice and learn new and different techniques and try different machines. And then um, right after that, we had the movement Black Lives Matter. And that even helped oh, tremendously more as far as my um, crafting business. Not only did the pandemic help grow it because people were shopping more and, you know, at home, like, what are we going to do? Let's order this, let's order that. I'm actually at home, so I have more time to actually make the stuff. So that was good. And, of course, like I said, um, with the Black Lives Matter, and not that it was a new movement because we've always been in this situation and we've always had it going. But, you know, it was like, hey, we're sitting at home. I think it just hit ahead because you notice more and you see more because right now America's at a standstill. So I would say that movement along with the pandemic definitely helped boost my crafting business and got my name out there um, a whole lot more and brought me a lot of new customers in. So probably everything suffered but the crafting business. Yeah. So um, your students, now that you can't have that same interaction uh, with them, how are, how are they doing? How are they doing with being, not being able to be in the contact with you as they had before? You know, I think um, it's a 50-50. Some of them are okay, and then some of them have those moments. Because, you know, some of us are just huggers by nature, and we just need that extra connection. And some of us are okay. I have a lot of students, especially the ones that didn't come back, they always say to me, well, I'm not coming back because I don't want to die. Or I'm not coming back because I don't want to get COVID and bring it home to my family. So they're very conscious and aware of, you know, what's going on. I will say definitely that the children are paying more attention now. Probably before all they did was Fortnite, not that they stopped with the Fortnite, but they're becoming more consciously aware and socially aware of what's going on in this world. Um, some of the things I did to like help them cope when it was first going on is um, I'm an English language arts teacher. So I always have my kids writing. 
So I had them, uh, they keep journals in my class. So of course we did a lot of writing about COVID. We did a lot of writing on them, just tracking what's going on, what are your feelings, how do you feel now? So they've had a lot of um, mixed emotions and mixed feelings, but for the most part, I will say the youth of today, they're awesome in understanding, hey, you know, I can't hug you, but at least I can be around you. You know, I can smile at you. We can still have a good time. Or, you know, a lot of them do the little elbow bump now. They're like, Miss, can we at least do the elbow bump? And I'm like, yeah, we can do the elbow bump. Um, making sure they have their hand sanitizers and things like that. Um, before we change classes, my kids actually clean their desks and disinfecting everything. And I think it's really cool when I have those students that, Miss, I have my own wipes. So they have their own little mini kits and they take care of that little area and make sure, Miss, I don't need your hand sanitizer. See, I have some. So I think um, when I see that, that just makes wounds my heart even more because I know that they get it and that they understand and that they're adapting. But I also know that they're paying attention to what's going on in the world. Like, you know, we had the debate last night and a lot of my kids were able to come home. I'm sorry, I call school home. But a lot of my kids were able to come back to school and even have conversation about the debate. And it's even more interesting to me because it used to be as a teacher, I had to ask them. Now I don't. They automatically are starting the conversation. Miss, did you see this last night? Did you hear what he said? So I think, you know, right now where we are in this world, um, we got a lot of terrible things going on. But at the same time, we have a lot of good things going on because we have a lot of people that are actually waking up. I think they've been asleep a while. And we have a lot of people that are waking up and are taking that and being aware of what's going on, becoming conscious um, society involved in better citizens. And then, of course, we're finding out who's who and who's really our friends and who's not and understanding that, hey, racism is very much alive and well in the United States, so. Yeah. Also, um, for me personally, going back to, to school has been an experience because I'm, I'm sheltering in place, I'm quarantining. So all of my classes this semester um, are, are virtual. So there's one class that I have that's, um, that is, it, it's synchronous, both in class with students in the classroom, as well as with, um, with students online. Mm-hmm. And that class is a class that, it's in my major, and it's, it's been a really interesting and fascinating uh, class to take. But the one thing that um, is, is a little bit of a challenge is, is getting the teacher's attention, because sometimes, <laughs> like with, with Zoom, you know, it can go on mute accidentally, and um, you, you can't be heard, really. So you need to, like, throw your hands up in the air. You got to do some crazy things, text someone else in the class that's actually there to let the teacher know they have a question. But it's one of the things. It, it's been a, a really huge learning curve as a student to, um, to learn both from, uh, from home and in terms of learning with another group of people on the other side of a screen and it's, it's been weird at times but other times it's been because i mean in a traditional class a traditional college class um i wouldn't have the the opportunity to be as close as i am to you right now in terms of learning what you can see what i can see and it it's just it seems to be even though it's far further apart from the usual it seems to be something that is even even closer since we have been uh, quarantining and sheltering in place. So it's, it's been really interesting to see how the different reactions, the different ways that people see and experience the, uh, the education that's happening. It, it's been, it, it's been completely different, completely new for some. And also it's, it's going to, be this way for a while until something comes about that the the virus dissipates completely. Yes, and it is very different and I can so agree, especially when you have 
students in the classroom with you and your students in Zoom. And I've been guilty, like a couple of times I'll get up and walk away to go talk to those students. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I gotta come back over here so they can see what I'm showing you and make sure they get it. And I've had a couple of students that I'll look back or they send me a chat message and I'm looking like, ooh, they sent that like 20 or 30 minutes ago. And I'm just now seeing it. So yes, that part is definitely um, challenging and even sometimes with the technology like you know even though some of us have our headphones and our microphones but on your end it might be staticky or on my end with the transmission of everything so that plays a major role or the delay reactions it was kind of funny today because there's this one student and normally she has a lot of technology issues as far as us being able to hear her and so in other classes today, her uh, technology issues were better. So one of the students that was face-to-face, -face, they was like, oh, Miss, you can let her talk today. Her technology's better. It's not sounding like an echo robot. And I'm like, okay, cool. So, you know, she's giving me the information and it's all uh, 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 like that. So I'm looking at the, I said, I thought you said it was better. They was like, well, it worked in the other class. I guess it messed up again. So then they're all texting her like, okay, stop, just put in the chat box. All we hear is static. So that part, yes, those issues definitely come up. So it's definitely uh, different in that and, you know, with the transmission of everything. But I think overall as a whole, like you say, when you're doing the shelter in place, um, we're adapting and that's what we do. We're humans and we learn to no matter how we don't want to, we learn to adapt and we learn to change and go with the times. Um, none of us thought we'd be here, you know, and going through this, but I think overall as people, you know, we see some mean stuff coming out, but we see a lot of goodness coming out in people as well. So we're definitely adapting well. Yeah, for sure. Also the, um, the, the protests, the, the movement, everything is—it's—it's it's revealing almost the America for what it has been, and how far it needs to go in order to be better. And in terms of what has happened, it seems as if it this time right now is—it isn't ideal with the circumstances of the danger of, of being outside and. Uh, being in contact with others who could have the virus. But also it's a time that we need to connect the most, it seems, as well as um, it's a time that we need to have our, our voices heard and, our, and our, our thoughts heard and everything else that we have in terms of community responsibility and community to, to teachers, to students, to our families, we need to make sure that we um, are heard and we have a voice in those matters. I totally agree with you on that. We definitely have to make sure that we're heard. One of the things that I think is very interesting as being an educator is I was uh, watching a conversation among some other women and they had disagreements on should this be a conversation in the classroom? And one lady was like, I don't think they should talk about that at school. And another lady was like, why not? That's the best place to bring it out. And then myself as being an educator, I had to, you know, ask myself, you know, hey, is this something that should be talked about in the classroom? And a couple of my fellow coworkers, we were having a conversation and one was like, well, I make sure everything's politically correct. You know, they're a history teacher, so it's kind of easier for them to bring some of the things in. But at the same time, I'm like, how are my students going to know what's really going on if it's not talked about in the classroom? We talk about everything else, so why would I not talk about this? Granted, I don't want them to have my opinion. I want them to have their own opinion. But as an educator, it's my job to teach them how to form their own opinion, how to take facts from here, how to take facts from here and put it together and use it to the best of their knowledge. But also keep it real. Hey, this is what's really happening. 
And um, today was a good day for us to do that because we were reading this story. Um, it's called First Day of School, but it's actually talking about segregation. And it goes back to um, the Board of Education, Brown versus the Board of Education case. So it was really interesting because I was able to bring full circle. You know, we were actually talking about um, plot, climax, rise in action, following action. But a lot of times when you're teaching kids things like that, you have to bring it full circle for them to comprehend. So I use the, what's going on today with Black Lives Matter. And I was like, okay, what's the plot of Black Lives Matter? What was the rising action? What's the climax? What's the falling action? So they were able to, you know, take the story we were reading and actually put it together because what I found interesting the story we were actually reading, they didn't understand it because it was from 1954 and this is the 2000s and they're kind of looking and I'm asking them questions about, you know, a short story that's in their literature book for today, but they kind of are like, you know, we don't know what this is talking about. We don't totally get it. But when I brought in Black Lives Matter, they could totally understand and comprehend and then they could actually have the dialogue that I was trying to get from them without even talking about Black Lives Matter because I was really talking about just plot elements but because they didn't even comprehend the story that was in our literature book it was hard for them to even have that dialogue and answer those questions but bringing in something that's going on today then they could have the conversation and then they could actually input things from then. And they was like, oh, well, this is that. And this goes with this. Me said, what about George Floyd? Like, they brought it into full circle. So I definitely was like, so yes, they need those moments, you know? They need the here, the now, and what we're dealing with. And still to know what happened in the past as well. So I think all of that, you definitely have to include it. And just make sure that's what makes them socially conscious and aware of what's going on and how to be better citizens because those are things they learn at school. Yeah, and it's really important also to to be aware both of your history and the history of others to, as you said, um, to compare, you not to compare, but to, to see that the, the similarities to what happened 50, 60 years ago is what's happening right now. And you can almost pair characters from then to characters um, who are here and now. I mean, one of the things about the civil rights movement is that there were certain leaders and um, like Dr. King, you have um, uh, Malcolm X, you also have the uh, Cleaver and Newton of the Black Panthers. And you have those, you have Dr. King and you have uh, Malcolm X and they both were, uh, they both were assassinated and essentially for, and they were the, the hope that America, the black America was looking for. They're looking towards them to sustain them, but somehow miraculously their legacy continued because of the idea that since they died for this, it is our responsibility now to take up their teaching to take up what they have fought for what they what their plans were and to go forward with that and to implement that nationwide to the best of our ability and so that's why we have certain programs that we have now certain initiatives because of both because of their sacrifice as well as the responsibility that the leaders then took and claimed as their own, and then they ran away with that. So history is very important in terms of looking at things in a, in a broader perspective of how things play out, as well as um, the first day of school. Is that a fiction story? Actually, it's a short story um, by Caskill, but and it's, it's fiction, but like I said, it's actually based off of... Um, Brown versus Board of Education. So it's actually depicting uh, what happened. It's very short because it just leads up to how they felt that moment of having to walk to the actual school and it kind of just stops there. 
So it's more like a background information type deal. And it is a short story, but it, that's actually, um, Caskill is who wrote it, and that's what he based it off of. Okay. So yeah, those stories, stories based in in a real event that are then uh, added, they add the characters and different uh, plot structures to it that expands it and it makes it, it's applicable to, to any young black child in America. That feeling of you're going to go to school, but it's in a um, majority white school and you're not sure how you, you fit in um, even though people around you are telling you that you're supposed to be different, you feel as if you can play with them, but you also on some level can. So you have that, that, uh, that cultural um, interplay between both of the stories. And so you yourself put yourself, you put yourself into the shoes of the characters and you try to look at it from the perspective of now. And so th that is a really uh, a powerful tool for letting kids understand exactly what's going on today, taking those stories and, ap and applying them to current events. Yes. And I mean, you definitely have to do that just for everything, because I remember even just telling them, you know, now y'all kind of look at it, you don't necessarily think it's about black and white because that hasn't, y'all are just now being exposed and understanding about racism and not you know thinking that it's been gone but it really hasn't but the same way you can look at that is economically you know looking at poor versus rich you know that's still segregation because you have all your poor people here and you have all your rich people here and even breaking down to the schools i was like okay so our school right here we're considered a title one school but this school over here in the same district is not I said, so us leaving our school just because, just my class, nobody else, what if we all just left and went over there? And they kind of started looking around. So I'm like, guess what? We're doing the same thing they did, you know? I said, because we're considered the less advantage because of our economics, and we're going to go over to the well-to-do school. And it's just going to be us. Nobody else is going to go. So I think we need to get the police officers, you know, to go with us. Because what if they don't want us there because we don't have money? So, you know, just going at that aspect with it and saying, okay, well, we'll get the Judson School District police officers to escort us to go over to this school. And a light bulb went off. I could see the aha moment in their heads like, oh, wow. And of course, like I said, again, they can start having those conversations. And for me, I'm like, aha moments are signposts. That's something I teach them. When the light bulb goes out, I'm telling them to look for it when you're reading. So again, that was a perfect time for me to be like, in today's lesson is, you know? So I definitely think, you know, we have to keep our current events, you know, to make our youth socially aware of what's going on, but also prepare them, you know, for the future and prepare them for what's ahead, making sure that they understand that um, by being entrepreneurs, you know, this gives you another economic advantage that you might not otherwise have. This helps you set up when you learn about credit as being in middle school versus being an adult, you're more conscious and you protect that credit score a little bit better, you know? you learn, okay, maybe I don't want to charge this. Maybe I want to pay this cash and save this for when I want to buy my dream house or my dream car. I've established, I've made a way for that. Or maybe I want to pay for college and not graduate with a bunch of student loans. So yeah. those are all things that I used to incorporate with them to teach them about being an entrepreneur, as well as those are things that help me as being an entrepreneur and as being a philanthropist to be able to do things of that nature and to be able to share with others. You know, I pride myself on not feeling like I'm the only person in this world that can make a t-shirt and not being intimidated because I teach students to do what I do because I look at it like, hey, if they succeed past me, guess what? I did a job well done because they are my legacy as well. You know, a lot of people be like, oh, everybody's making t-shirts now. 
Yeah, but everybody's not making a yellow expressions t-shirt, you know? Does it have that same little swag to it? Just like, you know, you go to the grocery store, there are like more than 20 different loaves of bread by all different companies. You didn't hear Mrs. Bread say, well, honey meat's making bread, so I'm not going to. You didn't hear Pepsi saying, well, Coca-Cola, everybody's buying that. I'm going to stop making Pepsi. No, they kept going and they kept branding and building their brand. And that's how I look at what I do. And I look at the more people that comes behind me and they make their mark and they get there. They're all a part of my circle. They're all a part of my legacy. And that makes me one step better and one step further ahead than where I was in the beginning, which is... um what I work towards having an awesome legacy, um, not just monetarily, but knowing that, hey, that's a good person that helped instill good and great values in um, our youth of today that will soon be our leaders of tomorrow. So yeah, I definitely think that all of those are key things in teaching them how to be entrepreneurships. Those are key things that I use in my business as well to help continue to grow my business. I'm still growing, you know, it's small, but it's not where it was yesterday. Each day I'm one step closer to that pinnacle level of having a major corporation, but who knows? I might decide, no, I want to stay small forever just because I like the customer service. I like to get to know those people, you know? I like building those relationships and having that moment. But at the same time, I've groomed other people to be able to do the same thing and be able to take over. So I think it all works together. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so uh, the last thing I want to, I, I would um, want to ask you is um, if you had the ability to send a worldwide text, uh, what would you send? Oh my God, you say the hardest question for last. My God, a worldwide text. What would I say? The one thing you didn't do, and I thank you for that, is you didn't restrict how many letters or words would be in my text so I could get my message out. One of those texts would include, um, I want people to vote. But I don't want them to just go to the polls and just randomly vote. I want people to look at where we are in America and vote for what's right. Make the best decision that's going to benefit everybody overall and not just at an economic advantage. So I want you to think about the poor people. I want you to think about the African-Americans, the black people, the brown people, the Asian people. I want people to think about we need to turn America around and we need for America to be what America was designed to be and to vote in that conscious manner. I want them to show up and I would want them to show out at the polls and not wait to November the 3rd, but soon as early voting is open for them to go to those polls and start voting now. We can't wait for November the 3rd. We need to make our voice count and we need to make it heard and we need to do it soon. That would be my text to the world. I totally agree with you. Uh, so uh, Yolanda, where can everybody go to uh, get a Yellow Expressions t-shirt, get Southern Style Magazine? Where can we go? to? Uh... Y'all can go on Facebook. They We all have our own pages. So Yellow Expressions has a page on Facebook and it's Yolo, Y-O-L-O Expressions. Um, the logo is a lady that's pink and green. Then you have your um, S-Style, known as Southern Style Magazine, is on Facebook. We have TDM, that stands for True Dimensions Modeling, on Facebook as well. And we're on Instagram. And actually, um, Southern Style and R40 Photos and TDM, they're on Instagram as well as Twitter. And Yellow Expressions is on Facebook and Instagram. So you can, and if all that spells and you can't find any of them, just look for Yolanda Jones and she will give you a direct link to those pages. 
Well, I'll make sure to uh, to put in the in the show notes everything that you you said, all of your your little expressions, Southern style, and uh, R40 uh, media. So thank you very much, Yolanda, for uh, this conversation. Uh, take yeah. care. You too, and thank you so much for having me. I truly enjoyed it. Uh, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Black Gold Podcast. Please subscribe and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow the show on Instagram at the Black Gold Pod in order to be updated about new episodes each week. In order to listen to incredible and inspiring stories, please go to the Black Gold Podcast website and make a donation so the stories of these incredible and amazing people will be waiting for you each and every week so that you may be inspired and become an inspiration to someone else. You can find all of that and more on the new Black Gold Podcast website, blackgoldpod.wordpress.com. That is B-L-A-C-K-G-O-L-D, P as in Paul, O-D, dot WordPress as in the blogging website dot com. Again, that is blackgoldpod.wordpress.com. dot wordpress dot com.